All right, everybody. Well, hello, good evening. How are you doing tonight? It's good to see you. Thanks for coming out to the worship gathering. For those of you who are new uh, to Highway, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here um, at the church. And, you know, I was, uh, I was a crossing guard way back in the day, Valley Vista Elementary School in East San Jose. And I got to tell you, that, <laughs> that video brought back a lot of warm memories uh, for me. There was something about strapping on that plastic reflective vest that made me feel like somebody, I got to tell you. <laughs> and frankly, it felt really good to use this power that I had to stop cars for the very first time just by putting a sign out there. And uh, you, you know that I bossed my friends around. I did a lot, <laughs> I did a lot of that. And it is kind of, a, it's kind of cute, actually, to watch kids boss each, uh, boss each other around. Um, but then you come to that moment where you realize that the real loud and bossy kid is going to be an adult at some point, <laughs> and that's when you become really, really fearful of the next generation and of our future. Um, but there is something about power that even at an early age, it's, just, it's really intoxicating. And as we continue our teaching series on Colossians um, called Centered, where we're looking at what Paul is trying to do with the, the Colossian church there and get them centered on the, the story of Christ, we're coming to the point where he starts to make a connection with how the story of Christ, this big story that's being told, connects with everyday life, connects with the grittiness of everyday life. And it affects everything that we do, um, especially our relationships. And um, we're getting to this piece in the letter here that we're going to look at tonight where Paul gives us some really challenging words about how we use our power in relationships. And it turns out um, that's a really provocative piece um, of Paul's letters. And uh, everybody seems to have sort of their different interpretation of that. So um, we're going to try and get to the bottom of what he's saying here tonight. And we're going to try and start to make connections with how it looks like or what it works like in our own lives. So what do you say? Let's jump right in. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 18. And it says this. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your husbands. All right, that's it. That's the sermon, everybody. Let's go have a potluck dinner. Who's going to join me in the fireside room? Nothing else to say. Well, you know, a lot of people actually just stop right there in this piece that Paul's uh, writing. People just stop right there, and there's like no context for anything that he's saying. There's nothing else that he has to say about that. People just tend to stop, honestly, right there. And um, at that point, you're either thinking, whoop, you know, this sounds really good to me. I'm sort of down with that. Or, uh, hmm, not so, not so fast, my friend Paul. Let me see what else you have to say about that. Well, um, Something like this needs to be handled with care. Um, context is really important. Seeing the big picture is really important. And without seeing the big picture, without seeing context, you really start to run the risk of um, bad interpretations and really miss this beautiful and radical thing that Paul is talking about in terms of how humans relate to each other, about human relationships. So what do you say? Let's try it again. Let's back up a little bit. Actually, we're going to start in verse 15 this time. We're going to read through chapter uh, 4, verse 1. And it says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they become discouraged. 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Um, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All right. So context, context, context here. Paul is writing about relationships in the home. And in the first century, some Roman culture of Paul's day, um, the home had a really, really significant place in society. A stable home was considered to be the foundation of a stable society. So it was really important to manage the home well. And it was up to the oldest male of the, of the household, who's generally the father, um, who lived there with his wife and with his children, with his slaves, who was an extended family, to do um, just that. And the wife and the children and the slaves were by law his property. Um, he had legal authority over them, and it was up to him to use that power that was given to him by Roman law to maintain a stable home and to make sure that the family name was in good standing. And he could do whatever it took, whatever it took including getting rid of them. Um, he literally held the power of life and death over his wife, over his children, over his slaves. He was the master of his own little kingdom, and um, it could be a pretty harsh place, actually. So managing the home was really important. And because it was important in that culture, um, the instructions were written down, and they were circulated throughout the Roman Empire about how a man was supposed to use um, his power to, to rule his home. And today's callers who have studied this um, call them household codes. And what Paul is doing in this letter, in this part of the letter that we've just read, is that he's writing his own version of them. And many people at sort of first blush, just first glance, um, think that he's sort of just reinforcing the norm, that he is just sort of reinforcing the way males dominated the home back then, right? Wives submit, children obey, slaves obey. They think he's sort of baptizing Roman culture in Christian language. In other words, he's just sort of saying, um, okay, you know, things are okay the way they are. Just do it in the name of Christ. And um, people have pointed out that this sort of interpretation <laughs> is uh, exactly what American churches did not too long ago when they rationalized slavery. So let's look a little bit closer at what's going on here. Let's dig, let's dig under, the, under the hood here because what Paul has in mind is not what people tend to think. It's not what people tend to think. What's going on, I want to make this clear, hopefully, is that Paul isn't underwriting cultural norms where women were property, were slaves, were thought of as human tools, were children, were, some t were often abused and just jettisoned, just kicked out. Um, he's not endorsing those norms. He's not saying that they're okay. He's actually rewriting them. And what he's saying is that through the cross, all of this stuff looks different. And there's all sorts of implications for what this means in our human relationships, not only in our home, but with our neighbors and even wider circles. So let's dig into that. Let's open up the, open up the hood here and let's dig into what he's saying. And um, the place to start is to look at these three relationships that he's talking about. So there's wives and husbands, children and fathers, slaves and masters. Now the folks over on the left-hand side of the pair, the wives and the children and the slaves, like I said, had no right they had no rights in Paul's days. Their identity was wrapped up in relation to the person on the left. 
And so what Paul is to the, to the husband, to the father, to the master, that's where the identity came from, to the person on the right. And so what Paul is saying to them here, he is saying for them to submit and to obey to the person that you're in relationship with on the right-hand side. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Um, slaves, obey your masters. So this kind of instruction back then would have been pretty obvious to folks. It was, uh, it was sort of a given. It may sound harsh to our modern ears, except maybe the kids one. You know, everyone can agree on we need obedient kids, right? Um, but let's remember that he's talking about relationships in his own culture, right? He's talking about what submission and obedience looks like in his own culture, but through the context, through the lens of the cross. And that's the difference. It's through the lens of the cross. That's the difference between the household codes that Paul's writing about here and the household codes that are floating around in, uh, in the culture around then. So he says to do these things, to submit um, in a way that's fitting in the Lord, um, to obey in a way that pleases the Lord, in a way that has reverence for the Lord. So the relationship is put, is looked through the lens of the cross. And Jesus on the cross doesn't mean um, laying down your life so that someone can walk over you. It doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean getting stuck in dehumanizing and abusive relationships. It doesn't mean seeing yourself as important, unimportant or not worthy or not the equal of someone else. Right? The cross is about the opposite of that. The cross is about the defeat of abuse so that you can be free to be fully yourself and express who you truly are. Because with the cross and the resurrection, the powers of evil don't have the last word. And um, the cross is, it's about the affirmation of people's identity and their human dignity because the cross says that you matter, right? Um, the cross is about how suffering and feeling unimportant or feeling un inferior or feeling unworthy are the opposite of God's will. So it can't mean that, right? Um, Paul is not blindly endorsing harmful human relationships. He's not just saying it's okay because that's the way it is. The cross says that what's normal isn't necessarily okay. Um, what's really unique here that Paul is doing is he's saying to the wife and he's saying to the child and he's saying to the slave that God sees you. That God sees you. The other household codes that were floating around there at the time didn't even address them. Didn't even address them. They only addressed the masters. So in a culture where women and children and slaves weren't even really seen, weren't even considered worthy of even addressing um, or important to address, what he's saying is that God sees you and affirms who you are. That's a radical thing to say at that time. That's where your identity comes from, not from the person on the right. It comes from God. So you are not someone else's property. You are not someone else's plaything. You are not someone else's fantasy. You are not just thrown in the corner uh, of life, lost in the shadows and don't matter. What Paul is saying is that you are a daughter and a son of God. That's where it comes from. And so see yourself in the light of that love. See yourself in the light of that love and stand firm in that. Live out of that place where there's dignity and there's courage and there's freedom. So you can start to give yourself in a healthy way 
to something that is good and something that's bigger than you, which in this case happens to be a healthy and a stable home. Um, So he's not blindly endorsing these harmful human relationships that are out there. What he's saying is that they need to be transformed and humanized through the lens of the cross. And that's a really big thing for that time, to say that. Um, He's trying to humanize human relationships under the cross. And, um, of course, it takes two to tango, doesn't it? Being in relationships means a give and take on the part of two people. So let's look at the other side, what he's saying on the right-hand side. So on the right-hand side of the equation, um, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Fathers, don't embitter your children. Basically, don't break their spirit is what he's saying. Uh, Masters, provide your slaves with what's right and fair. Basically, treat treat them as equals. See them as equals. Now, what's really interesting here is that most of the household codes of the day gave really specific instructions um, to the male on how he was supposed to rule his home based on uh, his rights as an owner of property. Roman law gave him rights as an owner of his property. And so most of the instructions are based on that right. But what Paul is doing here is none of that. What he's actually doing, he doesn't talk about the rights of the male based on the law of Rome. He's talking about the male's duty to build up and to affirm um, and to love based on a different kind of law. Love your wife sacrificially is what this says. Um, Be restrained with the kids. Uh, Treat slaves as equals. Now this stuff might look like really obvious for us here in the 21st century, but to Paul's audience, that would have jumped right out, especially the one um, for providing slaves, which right and fair. There is no known piece of ancient literature, and scholars have looked for this, but there is no known piece of ancient literature that requires masters to go this far in terms of how they treat their slaves. Nowhere. We can't find anything like it. So this is a really radical thing. And what's happening here is this is really a critique on how male power was used at that time. And what Paul is saying is that, look, now that you're in Christ, um, the way that you use your power and your privilege has to be conformed to the cross. The way that you use your power and your privilege has to look different because the, the way God used power and privilege was totally different and totally radical. It's not for controlling people. It's not for your own benefit. It's not to keep people in their place or put people down. That's the old way of doing things. Um, it's for serving people and it's for building people up. It's for affirming human dignity and doing whatever it takes to help people grow and to help people flourish. Power through the lens of the cross is always directed towards other people's growth and helping people find their voice and helping people become who God created them to be. That's power through the cross. And it's really hard for us to get how radical a concept that was back then. It was very radical. And so the thing that's really under the engine here for Paul, the, the, real, the central idea that's at work here is that the cross levels a playing field in human relationships. Because in Christ, power looks different. The way power is expressed is different. It's not that social roles change. It's not when Paul says um, there's no man or woman, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, he's not saying that all of a sudden we're all the same. <laughs> what he's saying is that how we relate to each other has to fundamentally change. It has to fundamentally change. It's that we see each other as equals 
because we realize our humanity in each other. We realize that we're all broken and that we've all, brought, we've all been brought together by grace under a new master. That's the realization. And um, at the end of our section here, Paul says, for masters to treat slaves fairly. Why? Verse 1, because you have a new master in heaven. Because you have a new master in heaven. Paul is asking them to look very seriously about what it looks like, what life looks like when love is your master. That's the thing. What does it look like when love is your master? How does it affect who you see? How does it affect how you see your wife or your children or your slave of the day? How does it affect how you treat them? Um, what Paul's trying to get at and drive at and help people to see is that there's this new master that we're all under, and um, that means everyone has to see each other in a new light. Right? Amen. I'll say it. Amen to that. So that's the idea that's driving the engine here for Paul. That's what's going on. Um, so I want to start to make some connections with how this might look like in our own lives. Because thankfully, we don't live in a culture um, where male abusive power is prevalent, right? Is tolerated. It should be pretty clear to us that there's no place for that in the home. There's no place for that in any place in our culture at all, period. I hope you don't need a 30-minute sermon to tell you that, right? I hope we all got that. Um, but what's happening here, and the, the, how we start to draw connections, is to understand that he's not just talking about, he's not just challenging male power and privilege 2,000 years ago. He's, what's doing, he's challenging about how any power and any privilege in any culture at any time has to be conformed to the cross. That's the challenge. And we have here, individually and collectively, here in our church, lots of power and lots of privilege. You know that? In many ways, um, we're on the right-hand side of the pair here. In many ways, socially speaking, we are um, the husband, and we're the father and we're the master today, especially if you're a white male. I mean, that should be pretty obvious. That's a reality. You know, but the tricky thing is that um, we don't tend to think about power and privilege much at all here because it's invisible to us. We're sort of blind to it. Um, and because of that, we don't tend to see people who are on the left-hand side in our culture. They're invisible to us. We don't tend to see uh, the wife and the children and the slaves of our day. We don't tend to see people who are vulnerable and marginalized and stuck in life because they don't run in our circles. You know, they're not a part of our household, so to speak. But the cross forces us to. The cross forces us to see those people um, on the left. But it's challenging because we have blind spots. We have blind spots. Look, I'm a white male who grew up in a middle-class home in the Bay Area, I have all sorts of blind spots about other people. I am basically a blind spot, right? I'm like a walking blind spot. I'm like the blind spot on your car. You know, and like, you're gonna, about to change lanes, and you're like, oh, I almost hit that guy because I didn't see him. Well, that's, that's because of me, because I'm, I'm a blind spot, right? I, do not, I don't see other people very well. There's other cars on the road that I have to share. Oh, I don't, you, that's me. Um, and so... We need to, you know, maybe you're not that much of a blind spot, but we need to see our blind spots. We need to become aware. So how do we do that? 
How do we do that? Um, it starts by being courageous and uh, allowing our own power and privilege to come into question. We have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to allow the questions that bring our power and privilege up to the surface. And we need to invite God in that process, right? We need to see ourselves in the light of grace and the light of truth. And there's this, um, there's this activity that's been popping up recently that I think uh, is a real interesting and powerful way of doing this. It's called a privilege walk. Maybe you've heard of it. It's where people um, stand in a, in a line together in the middle of a room and then someone reads a list of questions with these societal advantages and disadvantages that people might have. And these are things like, if your parents work nights and weekends to support your family, take one step back. Um, if you're able to move through the world without fear of sexual assault, take one step forward. Um, if you've ever been diagnosed with a, a mental or physical disability, take one step back. If your parents uh, went to college, take one step forward. Right? So... Uh, and so on. So people move forward and back based on how they respond and identify with each question. And then after the list of questions are read, there's like 30 of them or so, you see where everyone lines up. And uh, so a couple of years back, I took part in one of these uh, as part of a high school class I was helping teach in East Palo Alto. And let me tell you how very awkward and very powerful this was at the very same time. Um, I am a white male, and I took a lot of steps forward. And there are a lot of Latinos and the Latinas and a lot of African-American males and females that didn't. And uh, as people started to fall behind, it was this really immediate and visual sort of thing about how power and privilege um, are spread so unequally in our culture and how unaware I was of that. And that was the thing. It's like how unaware I was. And I found myself feeling really weird, really weird about my place, to be honest with you. Um, I felt bad when people started to fall behind. And um, in a way, it was really frustrating to see these kids in the back who, to be frank, like I thought no amount of hard work on their part was ever going to make that gap up. And it really affected me. It really affected me. I mean, it wasn't a feeling of guilt actually. I didn't feel necessarily guilty about it, although I would say there was a strange twinge like, oh, I kind of, yeah, I worked hard to be up here. And but it was really, it was more about becoming aware of something that needed changing and realizing that I'm, that I'm a part of it. Um, and that we're all connected. It was really powerful. And so I was sitting there thinking, you know, man, what can I do? <laughs> Like, what's my, what's my role here in all of this? And I took stock in my life. It's sort of a little inventory. I'm thinking, well, I'm an educated white guy who worked on Wall Street a few years ago. I'm a pastor now. Um, but, well, how about teaching a personal finance class in East Palo Alto? Um, how about mentoring a few of those kids? Not just teaching them, but becoming friends with them. How about getting to know some of their stories so they become more real to you? How about helping them find their voice through something that I might be able to offer humbly and knowing my own limitations, hopefully, and <laughs> being honest about those? Um, what I found was that getting in touch with your power and your privilege 
can give you this sort of weird, uh, even helpless feeling, but it's something that we have to push into, not push away. We have to push into that, not push away. That's what the cross is about. And, um, you know, I thought about like, oh, maybe we should try it all together, but that will be kind of, we don't have enough space for that. And so you can, you can actually go on YouTube and watch one of these. Um, and maybe you could try it with friends. But actually, it's most powerful when you're with a diverse group of people. Otherwise, you end up in the same place and it kind of like loses its effect. But you can, uh, just even going online and answering a few of those questions can start to open your eyes. And it should lead us through grace to think about ways that we can build other people up and affirm them. That's what it should be about. You know, when God is present in that, when we open ourselves up to that process, um, it doesn't, it's not about guilt. <laughs> it's about connection with other people. Um, that's where it leads us. So, you know, what do we do with that? Um, what does it look like to actually live into that? So I want to give you an image of what that might look like. And um, keeping in mind that video earlier where the kids are sort of power tripping on being crossing guards or whatever, uh, I want to show you a story, a little story about um, a guy who's a different, kind of, a different kind of security guard, a different kind of patrolman. He's actually a police officer. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of news um, recently, of course, about police and violence and the public. There's been a lot of that going on. And obviously, there's a lot to say about that. There's a lot of stuff around power and privilege and race, et cetera, and how that all comes together. Um, but we're not going to get into that. I'm not going to hash that out right now. But here's a story that I think speaks into the complexity of all of that in a really positive way. And also, I think, gives us a great image about what power transformed through the cross looks like in our culture today. So let's take a look at this video. Just one block east of downtown Los Angeles is uh, one of the most dangerous, overlooked, marginalized places in the United States of America, and that's Skid Row. Uh, Skid Row is a place where horrible things happen all the time. Women and children are the most vulnerable to the crimes, but you also have gang members and drug dealers who sell drugs near rescue missions and uh, hinder efforts to help people in the area. This is where I work. This is where God called me to be. And I believe that with my whole heart. You know, the reality here is most people don't really like police officers. They're taught to hate us because they feel we're after them because of their social status or race or whatever. It's really hard to meet somebody you really want to help and have them reject you. Some of them hate my guts. And I really, truly, honestly care about them. I try to look at people the way I think God looks at people. And in spite of all our mistakes, God still loves us. So in spite of all the mistakes that a lot of the people in Skid Row have made, 
I want to show them that I love them and I want to help make their lives better. You got to get out of your car sometimes, remove your judgmental idea about who people are and what a good person should be, and, you know, and get out there and get to know these people because you'll find that even though some of them have a lot of problems, severe problems, mild problems, they're people. Let me feel them. There you go, that's it. That's the real deal right there. Look at you. All right. Dion Joseph, call me Dion. They're told the police hate you, but I destroy that theory when I get out in that street because those folks will test you. If you say you care, they're going to hold you up to it. Okay, Joseph, you care? Put me in some housing. The Dion? Okay. Yes, oh, Dion. Yeah, if you're interested in some 90 day housing? Yes, yes. Okay. What I want you to do is Thursday. Go see my friend, she's, okay. a, she's a wonderful lady. Over time, the people see you for who you are, not what you are. They know I'm doing what I'm doing, not to harass them, but because I'm for them. All right? We'll do both. All right, let's take care. All right, thank you. Hey, how are you? You know, you're a star. How you doing? Because you love this kid around here. I do, I do. <laughs> get to know people on an individual basis. I know their names. I know when they've been sober. I know when they're high. People always ask me, how can you work here? How could you sit here all this time? My faith in God is what keeps me from packing up and leaving town. This is my assignment. It's like a driving force that keeps me having faith in this community. You know, that says, don't let them go yet, Dion. Don't let them go. So what, uh, what I love about Dion's story is that he goes out to the place where people are unseen and invisible, right? Skid Row, um, this is uh, it's actually a place that's sort of on the underside of power and privilege. And um, it's a place where he says he's hated. And he goes out of his car and he uses his power as a cop in this real uh, surprising way. He's not necessarily out there performing miracles. He's not, um, he's not necessarily doing anything heroic. He's just telling them about social services that they can use, right? Um, but what's behind it all, what's the, really the transforming thing, is that he's using his power to show them that they matter. Uh, to show them um, that they should be affirmed in who they are, right? And as, as people, as child, children of God, as loved. He could have stayed in his car, um, and he could have just rolled around and did a little patrol and make sure things were okay. He's well within his right to do that. But that's the safe and the comfortable thing to do. You know, he could have just stayed in the car and sort of hid behind the power of the police car and all the symbolism that it brings, but it would have done anything to change the animosity and the division between cops and people on Skid Row. So instead, he laid something down and went out to them. Right? He humanized the relationship. And over time, did you get what he said? Um, people start to see who you are, not what you are. They don't see the role anymore. They see the person. And that's what happens when power is conformed 
uh, to the cross. When power is used to affirm the dignity of other people so that people can grow. People start coming together. And that's the kingdom. That's what the kingdom looks like. You know, when I was in that, uh, when I was at that, that room with the kids, uh, and I was looking around at how things were so spread out, I was thinking to myself, you know what? This is not what the kingdom is about. Right? It's not. In God's economy, things don't look like that. And so how do we use our power? How do we use the gifts that God has given us to make, it, to make the world look more like what God uh, wants it to look? And we need to start thinking about that, um, I think, together. You know, we need to start thinking about what that looks like for us as a church here in Highway San Jose. And this is not just about our homes, what happens inside our homes, although it is about that. It's not just about how we relate to our friends. It's about wider circles. Because through the cross, right, power is implicated everywhere and in everything. So, um, where in your family, where in your neighborhood, where in our uh, community are you using your power to build other people up? And uh, what gift has God given you to do that, to help other people find their dignity? You know, over the next couple of months, um, as we roll into the new year, we're going to start having some more conversations uh, to help with that. Um, we're going to start talking about what's happening around here in terms of the needs of our city and our uh, community and what our response might be. We are going to be talking to principals of local schools. We're going to be talking um, to our local council person. We're going to be talking to people who, lo- who run local organizations that are doing great dignity-affirming work um, around here. And we're going to have some time for them to talk to us about what they see. We may have it on a Sunday evening as part of Sunday evenings, um, or we'll find some other time to do it. But we're going to be listening so that we can hear from other people about what they see, about what they see, um, to help us see what's unseen <laughs> around us and help us get out of our car. And we've got to be like Dion, get out of the police car. So there's a, lot, uh, there's a lot coming down the pipe. There's a lot coming down the pipe. So keep your ears and eyes uh, peeled for that. But all this has to come from the right place. Right? And I hate to sort of just like tail off and just leave it with this, this last few thoughts here because it deserves its own sermon, actually, and maybe more than that. But this has to come from a place of gratitude, what I've been talking about. I mean, or it's coming from the wrong place. It has to be coming from a place of gratitude and of thanks and of being filled with the Spirit, right, and being motivated out of love. That's what Paul started this whole letter about. Right? Go, let's go back to the start really quick here. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since members of the one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell uh, among you richly, um, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, when we're thankful, when we're truly thankful um, for what you have, you recognize that what you have is a gift. You recognize that what you have is a gift and that you, get, you can give it away and you can lay it down without a sense of guilt or obligation for others' goods. Um, we want to live out of that place. Uh, so tonight, may 
God, open our, our eyes and our hearts uh, to that. And may God free us, um, free us to get out of love and start to see how we can live from that place. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. You know, God, we are thankful tonight, but we definitely are also heavy-hearted. Um, this community is proof that you are at work in the world, um, that you, you, know, you have gathered us together for a purpose, to be a sign of love to each other and to our neighbors. But we do live in this world where power is used so destructively, where power is used to kill and we're reminded um, too frequently how brutal this world is again. And so we ask, God, for your love to prevail in the places in the world where power and privilege um, is used to tear down and destroy. We pray for you to come and to heal. We do. And some of us, God, may feel uh, tonight like the wife or the child or the slave. Um, and we pray for you to touch those of us who do feel that way and to give us a strong sense of your affirmation as your daughter or your son, um, worthy of all good things. And we also pray, God, for you to help us to see our power and privilege, not in terms of guilt, but in terms of how we can be used by you to affirm the dignity of others um, who don't have it. In a world, God, where um, people are too often treated as things and where power divides, we pray that you can help us to imagine new ways of being um, so that we can, live others up, we can lift others up and um, show that your love is at the center of all things. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.